This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. My name is Brandon Reddick, and I am the lead pastor here at the Bridge Church. It is so good to have everyone that is here this morning. This time, I want to dismiss all of our Bridge kids, our elementary age uh, children here uh, to meet Pastor Josh at the back, and he'll take you to your class. Um, and there, uh, he will give you your age-appropriate um, lesson for the morning. If you are here with us and you are one of our first, second-time friends, um, you're not a regular attender here at the bridge, let, let us first uh, express our gratitude for your presence this morning. Um, it, it is an honor to have you with us this morning. Out of all the churches that you could have gone to, you came and worshiped with us this morning. So thank you for being here with us. If you would, what's up, Kale? <laughs> it's one of my football players. Sorry. We're having a moment. Um, if you would do us the favor, um, hopefully you received a bridge car. Uh, it's a small rectangular piece of paper. If you would complete that for us, that would be very helpful to us. That simply lets us know who was here. Let's, uh, let us know your name. If there's any, any additional information that you would like, um, that's a way for you to connect with us. Let us know that you want that additional information, and we can get in touch with you as well. So we are in our series here called Multiply, and it's a study through the book of Acts. And what we said um, a few weeks ago is that the church at its birth was the church at its best. And as the British church, we want to be the church at its best. We, we want to be our best, not because we're trying to compete with any other church, but because we want to give glory to God, our creator, our savior, and our redeemer. So we, we, we want to be the church at our best. So we've been making our way the last few weeks, this last month, through the book of Acts. And so we're going to close um, Acts chapter 2 today. So if you would turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, we'll read this last section, verses 42 through 47. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. One of the things that you will see as we read through Acts, I want to encourage you to take the time to read through Acts um, uh, during your devotional time, during your private time, we'll try to let you know what the next section of Scripture is so you can be preparing your hearts and your minds um, and start meditating on these as we study them together. I can tell you now that next week we'll be in Acts chapter 3. <laughs> All right, verses 1 through 26. Um, one of the things that you will see that Luke does in Acts is he will have summary statements and summary passages. Verse 41 is a summary statement. He, he just says a whole bunch of stuff at one time in one verse. In verse 41, he says, so those who received his word were baptized, and they were added about 3,000 souls. He doesn't give us all the details about how all of that happened, of how they baptized 3,000 people in one day, which is amazing in itself. But he just gives us one summary statement, let us know, all right, I'm moving on. We got to keep the story going. In verses 42 through 47, he doesn't just give us a summary statement, but there's a summary passage here. And so verse 42 through 47, he's summarizing for us what life was like in this new community called the church. 
And so what these summary passages do is they connect us and let us know, all right, I got to end that part of the story because I got to move on to something else. And so that's what we're going to see in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. As is our custom here, let's stand in honor and reverence of God's holy word. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. If you want a hard copy of God's word, there's one at the hospitality table for you. Please have it. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And here is what thus says the word of the Lord. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Verse 45, and they were selling their possessions and belongings distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Next time, flow down to Leek and say it together. <laughs> in the book, the, In Search of Excellence, it's an older business book. The author says, he says that he researched a group of companies that were excellent. And what he says about all these companies, these companies, the one thing that they had in common was that they did the basic things well most of the time. The, the, the basic things they excelled at most of the time. And so that's what he learned as he uh, pursued this quest or to, to, to search for excellence. One of the things that we'll learn about this new, what life looked like in this new community called the church, is it's going to help us as a church to realize what should be our priorities. In other words, what are the habits of a gospel-centered church? So that's what I think we're, we, we can take home from this. What are, the, what are the things, what are the basics? of a gospel-centered church, the priorities of a gospel-centered church, the things that should be a part of our normal rhythm daily, weekly, monthly, yearly. We don't have to go and search for it. It's in God's Word. So let's look at this together. Verse 42 opens by saying, and they devoted themselves. They, the, that word for devotion means to be Persistent, steadfast, to, to persevere. Church, there was an extreme commitment to certain activities for this new church. The, the gospel so transformed them that there was a radical reorientation of their lives. Rewind. Okay, help me preach this thing. 
I said that the gospel so penetrated their hearts and their minds that there was a radical reorientation of their lives. In in other words, their lives were dominated by and centered around the gospel. This new church didn't merely add Christianity to their already busy lives. No, 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 no. But the text says they devoted themselves to the Christian experience. The gospel church was the center. And watch this. Everything else revolved around that. Oh, I came ready to preach, but I knew it was going to be lonely this morning. The gospel was the center of their lives and everything else revolved around it. Let, Let me say it like this. For this New Testament church, extracurricular activities were actually extra. Yeah, you're going to be mad at me today. It's all right. If they were to say, well, we're just too busy, it was because they were too busy with gospel intentionality and gospel living. Okay, what we need today is a church that is busy because of the gospel and not because of the world. Now, now, am I, I'm not saying, remember, we are people who are in the world but not of the world. I'm not saying I want you to become hermits and I want you to be separatists. No, 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 no. God, God sent his son into the world to save the world. That's incarnational living. I want us to be a people that are involved in the world, to be involved in society, to be involved in the culture. Why? For the sake of the gospel. Today in the church at large, which the British church is a part of, we are just busy. But there's never, there's not always gospel intentionality behind our busyness. Preach, Brandon. I'm doing my best. So so what were the priorities then of this gospel-centered church? First of all, first of all, they were a learning church. They were committed to learning. Verse 42 says, and they were devoted to the apostles' doctrine. The the word doctrine simply means teaching. The, The apostles led the church by teaching the church what Christ taught them. Let me say that. This is for free right here. The apostles who were the top of this organization, the apostles led the church by teaching the church. What's our our modern day uh, uh, translation of that? The elders of the church lead the church by teaching the church. Elders are not supposed to be uh, involved or bogged down with the day-to-day operations of the church. We'll see here in a few weeks, that's what deacons are for. Elders lead the church or, or serve the church by leading the church by teaching God's word. So, so the, the text says that this new community called the church were committed to, to the teaching of the apostles. Where there's teaching, there must also be learning. Where there's learning, 
You know what a learner is in the Bible? A dis- oh, help me preach this thing. A disciple. So in, 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 in other words, this was a church that was committed to discipleship. There was teaching and then there was learning. Discipleship was at the forefront of the life of this new church. Discipleship, they realized, was their mission. It, it was an actual value of theirs. Hopefully, it's evident that the Bridge Church strives to be a teaching and a learning church. We, we teach the word every Sunday. Every Sunday, myself, Joshua, some appointed person gets up here and preaches God's word from the Bible. We don't give you human opinion. No, 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 no. We, we don't give you a good therapy session. It's not a counseling session. It is God's word that's unfolded and explained. We, we, we even do this in our bridge groups. Notice what this text says. They were devoting themselves to the teaching of the apostles. This new church had a radical commitment to teaching and learning about Christ. How do we know they were devoted to the apostles' teaching? Here, here. Here's how I know. One, they recognized the authority of the apostles. Watch this. And the teaching of the apostles was authoritative because they were speaking the words of Christ and not their own human opinion. What gives me authority, what gives elders authority, what gives a preacher authority is not them wearing a good uh, uh, tie. Y'all are so lost right now. Okay, let me tell you the story. I was sitting in mm, a pastor's study one Sunday, um, and we were just talking about how traditions can really be harmful to the church sometimes. And there was uh, a younger preacher whose dad was an older preacher, the younger preacher showed up to preach and did not have his tie on. The daddy happened to be there. And his daddy was mad at him because he didn't have on his tie that morning, like someone else you know this morning. He, so, so he asked him, where's your tie at, boy? He said, dad, I, I didn't wear one today. He said, don't you know your authority is in your tie? We laugh, but some people actually think that. Or the authority is in wearing a suit. Or the authority is in the position. No, 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 no. What makes teaching authoritative is when it's based on God's word. Scripture is God's word revealed. They, they, they recognize the authority of the apostles. If we ever get up here and start stop preaching God's word, we no longer are authoritative in our message, which means you have the authority to leave. Matter of fact, you should leave any church where the word is not central. How else do we know they were devoted to the apostles' teaching? Obviously, they showed up to be taught. Moving on. Thirdly, they obeyed the teaching. We'll see that here in a few minutes. In other words, their lives were transformed because of what was being taught. So they were a learning church or a teaching 
church. Not only were they was the priority teaching, but another priority of this new church was sharing. They were a sharing church. Look, look at the text with me. The text says that they were devoted to the apostles' doctrine and to the fellowship. The word fellowship is koinonia in the Greek. It, it, it literally means common, communal, to share, to contribute, to have communion. The, the new church, this new church was committed to community. Now, I say fellowship, and y'all think eating and greeting. That's not what Luke is talking about here. There was meals. We'll see that here. We saw that in the text. There was eating. There was greeting, but there was much more to this sharing in this New Testament church. What am I talking about? Look at verse 44, 45. 44 says, and they had all things in common. 45, they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Look at this church. The gospel so transformed their lives that they were radically, extravagantly generous. Let me bring it in. Let me try a different word to generous. They were uh, um, sacrificially generous. They, they, they made sacrifices because of fellowship. Sacrifice means they had to give up something. Maybe that even wasn't easy to give up. Sacrifice means that it cost them something. That's how deep the gospel had transformed them and penetrated their hearts. God, the text says they were literally selling their property and possessions for the sake of one another. Look at this. This was not a materialistic group of people. They, they were selfless. Th this is what fellowship looked like in the early church. They were more committed, ooh, they were more committed to the community than they were themselves. They put the needs of the community before their own. I told you it was going to get quiet in here. Why did they do this? Because they realized that they were now part of a body. The body of Christ called the church. The church is a body. And I wonder sometimes if we forget that. Church, gospel-centered churches are sacrificially generous churches. The people in the community are generous. As a body, they are generous. Now, does that mean we're all supposed to start selling our possessions and property and, and bringing it to the church? I don't think that's the point of this text. I think the point is to show us the extent of their devotion because of the gospel. However, I wonder... What it would look like if some of us started having garage sales and started donating the proceeds to the benevolence fund of the church. 
The text says it's any had need. So when there was a need, the need was met because everybody pitched in. Everybody sacrificed something so that nobody in the church had a particular, that when there was a need, the need was met. What would it look like for, okay, you don't want to have a garage sale. What would it look like for you to have an eBay sale? A Craigslist sale. And, 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 we, and, and, and you took the proceeds of that and said, I'm going to send that to the church, the community, so that whenever there's a need, the need can be met. Or what if you just said, hey, I'm going to go ahead and do this garage sale, and whatever I make, I'm going to give it to, to, to Joe Blow's family because I know that they are in need right now. Sacrifice is what uh, uh, this church was made of. Can I tell you this real quick? The cure for materialism is generosity. If you want to stop being so materialistic or guard your heart against materialism, start giving away something. For some of us, this means that the, 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 the principle here for some of us means that we can apply this text. Maybe instead of buying the bigger house, we buy a little bit smaller house. Oh, y'all squat on me. But maybe you buy a cheaper home so that all you're not, everything you, that comes in, money that comes in is not going out just to pay the mortgage every, every month. Maybe that means you buy a cheaper car. Maybe that means you buy cheaper clothing. Hold on, let me preach to this side of the room, right here in this corner. <laughs> I'm in trouble. <laughs> oh, y'all pray for me. <laughs> Church, Christians ought to be the model of simplistic living. Or rather, content living. We ought to be modeling what this looks like for the world so that whatever we get in, we, it, it doesn't hinder our, our commitment to the kingdom. You don't know what I'm talking about. Maybe so that it doesn't hinder our financial commitment to the kingdom. Y'all, can, can I just testify real quick? I had to grow to this part in my walk with Christ. Living in Dallas, y'all, I always felt this um, implicit pressure to, 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 to keep up with the Joneses. Not Jerry. I can't keep up with him. <laughs> Them other Joneses. I, I always felt this pressure to have the newest car. I felt this pressure to have the nicer home than my peers. I, I, I felt this pressure. Nobody told me this. I just felt it. There was always, this, oh, I felt this pressure to be a part of the rat race, to get as fast up the corporate ladder as I could. And let me tell you what happened in my house. <laughs> the money, what came in, went out. Matter of fact, what needed to go out didn't always go out because I didn't have enough coming in. I, because I was trying to pay this, this, this mortgage that I couldn't afford and these car notes that I couldn't afford, these, these nice clothes that I couldn't afford. Thanks be to God, I've been delivered from that. I don't care what y'all think about me now. 
I, 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 instead of pleasing, I realized that by pleasing man, I was displeasing my God. And so what I learned to do is, I'm going to please God and y'all can deal with the fallout. Okay, that was free. That's not even in my manuscript. Some of y'all ain't talking to me right now because you're thinking, this seems a lot like communism and socialism. Uh-huh, I heard you. You know, we, are, we live in a capitalistic society, whatever that means. But can I, I, this was not communism or socialism, church. Can I tell you why? First, the generosity of this new community was not government-driven, it was gospel-driven. Can I tell you something real quick? This is just my own personal conviction, but I think it's conviction of Scripture. Taking care of the poor is not the job of the government, it's the job of the church. I'm going to be on Facebook today. <laughs> Secondly, this is why it was not communism and socialism, because the giving of the resources was not mandatory, it was voluntary. Now, the goal of socialism is for, their, for, the, for government to control the, the production um, of goods and services and the distribution of it, hopefully the goal being equality of all people. But here in this text, there is not equality as far as property and possessions um, is concerned because there were still people in need. By the way, this is for free. Again, ooh, y'all cheating me this morning. This is for free. This text, I think, is partly evidence that just because you believe the gospel, just because you start believing Christ, uh, believing in Christ don't mean all your problems are solved. These people believed Christ, they were committed to Christ, they surrendered to Christ, they were sold out to Christ, and they still had problems. I tell people all the time, when you sign up to be on Christ's team, you are signing up for spiritual warfare. What war do you know is, all, is just all good and happy? Maybe you're signing up for trouble, for persecution, for opposition. Satan is after you, and so he's going to send his army of demons to come and get you and to cause you all kinds of problems to, to destroy your faith. But the good news from, from Calvary is that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. He has already overcome. I got to move on. Not only does fellowship mean that they shared their assets, their property and possessions, but fellowship for them mean, meant that they lived life together. You, you've heard that terminology, do life, doing life together. Look at verse 46. It says, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their Food with glad and generous hearts. This new church valued community. But they were, the text says, devoted to community. Notice for this new, new Testament church, living life together was not just a one and a half or two hour Sunday morning event. Say that louder. Help me, Holy Spirit. It was a normal rhythm 
of their daily lives. How do I know that? Because the text said they did it day by day. Church, hear me. The enemy of community is individualism. The enemy of community is individualism. Here's what I mean by individualism. Individualism is the belief that your personal needs are more important than the needs of the community. Just wonder if Christ had done that. Individualism values independence and self-reliance. Individualism puts the focus on doing whatever is best for me. Here's what individualism sounds like. (laughs) I'm just a private person. Your creator said it's not good for man to be alone. Here's what individualism sounds like. I just don't have time for community. I'm, I'm too busy. My response? Sounds like you need to drop something. I, I, I mean this in all love and grace, church. Individualism sounds like this. I, I don't want people to know my business. Or people just need to mind their business. <laughs> Well, here's the the, the scriptural truth. You are my business. According to to, to God's word, I am my brother and sister's keeper. Matter of fact, 60 plus times, there's this two-word phrase called that says one another. Love one another. Pray for one another. Be patient with, bear one another. Here you go. Forgive one another. Carry that out. In community. Individualism says, well, my faith is between me and God. My sin is between me and God. Here's what the Bible says, Galatians 6.1. If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual shall restore him in a spirit of gentleness. So, so that, to me, here's what James said in James 5. Verse 16, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. That word and right there, I think it's logical, meaning you confess your sins to one another so we can pray for one another, not judge one another. Because without Christ, we all stand under condemnation. We all stand in judgment without Christ. So based on Galatians 6 and 1 and James 5, 16, it sounds like your faith actually and your sins is between you, the community, and God. Here's the problem with us in the church. That's why y'all quiet on me, because I'm pushing against your American value of individualism. I've said this time and time again, I'm hoping you'll get this at some point. Most of us are better Americans than we are Christians. We forget that we are dual citizens. We are both citizens of heaven and citizens here on earth. However, when the values of those two kingdoms collide, the the kingdom of God is what wins out. 
So when America says it's all about you and it's all about me, but God's word says, no, it's all about the church, the community, then I've got to be more committed to community than I am to myself. Let's move on. That's the part I wanted to lean on. I'm done now with the sermon. Not only were they a teaching church, not only were they a sharing church, but another priority was they were a praying church. Verse 42 says they were also devoted to the prayers. The the early church was committed to prayer. They, they, They recognized their complete and total dependence on God. Prayer is a recognition that we are not the captains of our own fate. Prayer is a recognition that God is sovereign and only God is independent and we are dependent on him. And we're going to see through the book of Acts that that, that prayer is a priority for this New Testament church. So I won't say a lot on it today. However, I want to remind us that it is imperative church that we commit ourselves both individually and corporately to the ministry of prayer. That's why I'm always pushing uh, our small groups to to make sure you take time to pray. That's when we have our prayer meetings. They sought God's direction through prayer. They didn't operate by feelings or intuition. But they sought the face of God in prayer. And here's the good news about prayer, church. Friends, when we pray, God hears our prayers. Prayer, church, has a way of giving us a peace that surpasses all understanding. Chaos can be all around you, but when you pray to the Father, He'll let you have peace in the midst of all the chaos. Everybody else, they will look at your situation and say, you ought to be losing your mind right now with everything that's going on. Oh, but when you trust in God, he has a way of saying, don't forget, I'm sovereign, not you. I I got you. I can work this thing for your good and for my glory. This reminds me, we used to sing it. Y'all won't get with me, so I'm just going to have a little church by myself real quick. We used to sing a song that said, just a little talk with Jesus. We'll make everything all right. We, we, we'd invite everybody. we say, now let us have a little talk with Jesus. Let's tell him all about our problems. And here's the good news. He'll hear our faintest cry. God ain't deaf. He'll answer by and by. And then we'll feel a little prayer wheel turning. And we'll know a little fire is burning in church. Just a little talk with Jesus will make it all right. And then we just have to stop and just start encouraging one another. It's all right. It's all right. It's all right. It's all right. All right. All right. Just a little talk with Jesus. Maybe that's what you need today is just have a little talk with him, church. It'll make everything all right. Church prayer makes a difference. I got to get out of here now. Not only were they a teaching church, not only were they a sharing church, not only were they a praying church, but they were a worshiping church. Verse 43 says, And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. That word awe in, in, in verse 43 is phobos, phobos in the Greek. It's where we get our English word phobia from. They, 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 it means terror. 
reverence, respect. Now, phobia for us means that we're scared to death of something. I think my son has a phobia of hard work. <laughs> but this is different than that. This is, I see God working. I see the presence of God in our midst, the, the evidence of the presence of God in our midst. And I have this holy awe of God. The, the church, they were experiencing the supernatural which is described in our text as wonders and signs being done through the apostles. Not only do we know that they were a worship church because they were in awe, but verse 46 says, and day by day, they were attending the temple together. In other words, they were devoted to corporate worship, what we do every Sunday. They were committed to gathering together for the purposes of, of, of worshiping God or giving God the glory that he's due and the honor that he's due and encouraging one another. Verse 47 says they were, they were praising God. This, that's what this new church did. Every chance they had, they'd give God some praise. They, they, they didn't have an off day. They didn't, they didn't have a, I don't feel like it today or I'm, I'm having a bad day. No, they said when I show up, I'm going to give God praise. Because guess what? It really could be uh, worse than what it really is right now. And so they would speak well of God concerning his wondrous works and his mighty acts. So we see these are the priorities, church, of a gospel-centered church. That's how we know what our core values are as a church. We must be a teaching church, a sharing church. A, a praying church, a worshiping church. And when we have our priorities straight, we'll see the product of a gospel-centered church. Look at verse 47b, the B clause. Verse 47 says, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. That's the language of multiplication. They were a multiplying church because they had their priorities straight. Before we close this thing out, let, let's, let's settle some things about multiplication. Notice who it is that causes the growth. The Lord. Church, we can do as many outreach events as we want to. We can have the best plans and we can have the best strategies. But if God ain't in it, for the rest of you, if God is not in it, it won't work. The, 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 the Lord added to the church. Paul would later go on to expound upon this principle. He would go on to say something like this. One man plants. Another waters. But God gives the increase. Church, we are nothing but planters and waterers. It is God who gives the increase. Now, here's the thing, though. God is sovereign, God is control, and God is the one who adds to the church, but he works through human agency. 
That's a fancy way of saying he works through us. He still wants us to plant. He wants us to water. And after we have been faithful to, to planting and watering, God says, now I'll give you the increase. And that's what I want us to do as a church. I want us to be faithful to the planting of the gospel and the watering of the gospel and then leave the results up to God. The evidence is he can give you the growth. Here's here's something else we learn about multiplying. Not only is it a work of God, but it also happens in God's own time. The Lord added to their number because it was his prerogative day by day. That's the timing aspect of it. Here's where I have to kind of temper expectations a little bit for the British church. I don't want to uh, 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 put water on our fire of enthusiasm and excitement and and how motivated we are. We need that. But God's going to grow the British church in his own timing. We just need to be patient and wait on God. But let me show you also, let me share with you God's favor. Uh, Tara and Andrew Johnson, they were, uh, this is, they were also a part of a a church plant in Kansas City. Um, I think it was actually a harvest church there in Kansas City. And they said, when we planted that church in KC, uh, they said it took us forever to get to 70 people every Sunday. They said it was years before we started averaging 70 on a Sunday. We were their church in six months. You can give God praise right there. Now, I don't want us to always go to comparison. I just want to show you how, how God's favor has been on us. To, 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 to be at that number as a church plant is not typical. That's not the benchmark within six months. Now, We've experienced God's favor early on. God may say, all right, I want to put the brakes on it for whatever reason. And he may say, I want you to stay right where you are for the next six months or the next year or the next couple of years. I don't know. We just need to be faithful planters and waters and wait on God. But God does. He causes the growth in his own time. New life is being added to the church. Hallelujah. People are being born again into a saving relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Churches grow when they have the right priorities. Apostolic teaching. Fellowship in both large gatherings and small gatherings. Worship. There's this acknowledgement of God. It's a response to reveal truth about God. And there's prayer. These are the conditions under which God gives gospel-centered growth. I have to put, I think those are some kind of adjective or whatever, in front of growth. Gospel-centered growth. Because there can be non-gospel-centered growth in the church. You, you may have heard me use this illustration before. Uh, when I was playing football, Kel, I went to do a chop block, and I fell real hard on my, on my right knee. 
And when I fell on my right knee, by the end of the game, my knee was this big around. There was swelling. And based on my limited medical knowledge, what happened was blood ran, rushed to that area because an injury had occurred. There was growth because something was wrong. Non-gospel-centered growth. Sometimes when churches blow up real fast, it may be gospel-centered growth, by the way. But sometimes it's a sign that something's wrong. People went there because they were getting conviction of another church, and they wanted to just leave feeling good. That ain't us, y'all, by the way. If you were here with us for the first, second time, that is not our church. What makes you feel good is that Jesus is your Savior. He has paid for your sin. You are a sinner, but Jesus has done it. Now, that'll make you feel good. But you can't feel good. We ain't going to let you feel good until we first give you some conviction. What precedes conversion is conviction. There can be no true conversion without conviction. All right, that was free too. We must be a church. If we are to be a multiplying church, we must be a church that's devoted to teaching God's word. That's devoted to community, worship, and prayer. Then we will see God work in mighty ways in us, through us, and for us. God be praised. Worship team, you can come back.